0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things that you can buy that will actually help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This reason is why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that tethered saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, and along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to TetheredNation.com. If you're like me, you spend a lot of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times are to hunt. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience, tailored for hunters, and stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've had an opportunity to use the desktop version last year and have been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store and download it today. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth to the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 257. Today I'm joined by my buddy, Joe Dasik, and we are talking being mobile. what is up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you're doing well hope you are feeling fine i am finally back from from kansas long drive about 24 hours uh in the saddle if you will not the not the tethered saddle but the uh the ram 1500 saddle with a with the mauve bomber trailer strapped to the back of me um And I tell you what, the drive home is always a lot harder than the drive to hunt. It feels like the drive home will 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 never end and that you'll never actually get to where you're going. But alas, I made it home, uh, spent (laughs) spent, I guess, all day Saturday kind of cleaning things up because the trailer was pretty disgusting. There was so much dust and filth and film and all over the inside of it. The truck is a complete disaster that has to get cleaned. uh, That has to get cleaned next um, so that's really what's been on my agenda. You know, I do have one more week of of bow hunting here in the special regulations unit. So I'm hoping that maybe I can get out for a morning uh, sometime this week. Bef- uh, you know, bef- before work uh, this weekend. I really just tried to put some family time in once I got home on Saturday and Sunday, and really just kind of recalibrate. Man, I lived out of the trailer. I think it was for 17 days straight. I was a nomad, kind of living in that. I think within that time frame, I took four showers. Um and uh so I was I was definitely in need of a of a shower. But we're just gonna kind of get cranked into things today, uh, and uh not belabor this up front. Have a couple things that I want to pass along to you guys here quickly before we jump into the podcast. So if you listen to any of the previous couple podcasts, you heard me mention um, my buddy Cameron Stover over at Hunting Gear Deals. Um, you want to make sure you you're you're checking that out, especially as we get up on the holiday season. Whether you're looking for deals for yourself or looking to buy some stuff for for man, family members and so forth, and really what Hunting Gear deals is dot uh, uh, com is is essentially a website that Cameron has that he scours. He and his team scour the internet looking for deals across the the outdoor landscape agnostic of brands. So it doesn't matter what brand that you might be into. He's likely got something there for you. So it's not like he caters to one brand or, or, or another necessarily. He and his team scour the internet, looking for deals, coupons, code, promo codes, etc., And they basically put that on the site and then pass it along to you guys. So you guys can save some money and stretch your hunting budgets just a little bit, uh, a little bit further. The best way to stay in the know uh, for, you know, gear deals that are coming up. Cause essentially Every single day there are new deals that are popping up that is being populated on the website. It's just to go over to huntinggeardeals.com and sign up for the newsletter. He'll send out an email every day essentially telling you what new deals have kind of popped up on the website that way you can kind of get to them. A lot of times that inventory is limited and you need to kind of jump on it as soon as um, as soon as possible. So head over to huntinggeardeals.com and check that out. Also uh, look at their I think it's the holiday specials tab on the on the global nav. There's something in there for Cyber Monday. And Black Friday, so you won't want to miss those deals, so make sure you're te- checking the website, hitting that tab and getting to those deals specifically. And if you'd like to review any gear or anything like that and help help Cameron out, you can send him an email at deals at gmail.com and let him know you'd be interested in doing some some reviews for him and he'll uh, he'll get you hooked up and set up to be able to do some of that. So with that, two other things to pass along. I have my buddy Joe da- Dasick on today. He's a fellow Pennsylvania uh, Pennsylvania guy. Uh, I think I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, our circles kind of crossed online where he follows the hunting beast forum. He runs a couple of the Pennsylvania, um, Pennsylvania deer hunter, I guess, Facebook, uh, group pages. And that's kind of where our paths, uh, paths crossed. And then just so happened that we are hunting a very similar area, uh, near one another and, and both kind of, you know, he's got a little bit of a head start on me learning some new pieces of, of, of ground of mountain ground. And we have a couple mutual friends or mutual acquaintances and we started sharing trail camera pictures and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he's, he's been hunting mobile before mobile was cool essentially. And we talk a little bit about that. We also talk a little bit about his mountain hunting strategies. And as he's learning some of this new, more mountainous terrain like he he admits and you know and mentions that a lot of what he was hunting prior to that was you know in the same kind of geographic location but it was probably more related to hill country and farm country where there's a lot of structure and things like that and then he began to transition to just kind of very large tracts of land mountain hunting and has been running a ton of trail cameras and doing a lot of kind of you know studying on scrapes and activity around scrapes and time time frames and Uh, What types of scrapes in in specific areas or terrain features are really kind of the hot spots and so forth. And so we talk a little bit about that. And truthfully, I got a lot from the conversation just in terms of things I need to be thinking about and looking at in in some of the places that I've kind of been exploring here in Pennsylvania in, in, in terms of mountain hunting. Uh, cause he's got a little bit of a head start on me in terms of, uh, in terms of kind of digesting that information. The other cool thing about, uh, Joe is that he does some really killer stuff for the hunting community just in general. Um, one, he's a big advocate of Sunday hunting. Um, you know, he does a lot of stuff for that and is, is well-versed and in the know in terms of, uh, the regulations around Sunday hunting, the different bills that are being passed to try to implement, you know, more Sunday hunting, or at least transition that Sunday hunting power back or over to the game commission and kind of getting rid of that, rid of that blue law. And so he does a lot of stuff with that and is active in, in that community on online as well. And then probably more importantly, you know, Joe, Joe's a veteran. Um, and he, and he does uh, some things to try to help veterans out and gets involved with using the, helping to use the outdoors as a, as a method to kind of reintroduce veterans into, um, into society, you know, give them a kind of a, a way to ease themselves back into a, a, a place of normalcy after, after combat or after being deployed. And there's two groups specifically that, that Joe works with. One is the Pennsylvania outdoor veterans group. Um, they have a website, it's PA dot Uh, they exist kind of solely on donations. So if you are, you know, we're in the giving season, if you feel so inclined to, Contribute you can head over to that link that's paoutdoorveterans.org, and you can make a contribution to make sure that those folks have uh, have have the uh, requisite resources to continue to provide hunts for disabled veterans. There's a second group that he um, is associated with or works with as well or uh, has helped out in the past that's called hunts for healing. Um, and this again is just a group that's set up for disabled veterans to help get them out into the outdoors and you know, reassimilate into, into you know, quote unquote normal life when they when they get back. And that website is huntsforhealing.org. You can make a contribution donation there as well as we are in the the giving season. So with that, we're gonna go ahead and jump into today's podcast. Uh, let me wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you have safe travels and a great holiday visiting with some family, eat some turkey get into a food coma, and just enjoy some, uh, enjoy some time off. My fellow brothers and sisters from PA, be safe on that uh, rifle opener on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and uh, we will talk to you all after the holiday. And as always, thank you for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have on a fellow keystoner. Uh, a keystoner, that sounds weird. It's almost like a stoner, but different but not real, not really, (laughs) but uh, I have a fellow, a fellow Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania guy on with me. This is a gentleman who I've crossed different circles with in the past. Um, I've been kind of following him online. I won't say I've been stalking you necessarily, but I've certainly kind of kept uh, up to date with what you've had going on. And then finally we've, we've just kind of our circles, crossed closely enough to where we started kind of talking via text and stuff like that and certainly wanted to get you on because I know we're hunting some similar terrain and stuff like that and just wanted to pick your brain and talk to you just about hunting in general but I have my buddy I'm not going to hopefully I'm not going to butcher your last name man I'm going to say Joe <laughs> yeah. da- Joe Daffick is that correct is Daffick right Daffick. Daffick Daffick There you go awesome How you doing brother
2: Good good how are you
1: I'm good man I'm ha- I'm hanging in there um waiting for this rain to push out man cuz I'm I'm itching to you know, cell cameras are a blessing and a curse. They're a blessing in the sense that, you know, I can stay out of some areas, uh, and keep them kind of clean and prime for whenever the time is right. But it's also a curse and it's painful when I'm sitting at work this morning, you know, and I'm getting ready to sign into work cause I work remote and, uh, I see a shooter kind of come by one of those community scrape areas at about seven thirty this morning. <laughs> that hurts.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I know we were, I kind of spent some time with my kids today cause, uh, I've got the next couple of days off. So it was, it was really raining pretty hard here. We kind of got washed out. So I uh, took them for a ride and uh, yeah, there were deer all over the place today. Yeah. <laughs> here is pouring rain and I'm watching in the field. So.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I got up, so I knew that it was going to be kind of a gnarly day today. And when I was looking at the forecast, you know, cause I was trying to pick my days cause you know, I, I do have a little bit of flexibility where I can kind of sign into work late and stuff like that. If I need to, if I want to catch like a morning hunt for a couple hours or whatever, And so I was planning on doing that this week, this week, you know, and and for those that are listening, you know, Joe and I are recording this the very last week of October. And so I was trying to pick the day that I'm going to kind of go out, like what, what day don't I have a lot of meetings in the morning that I can kind of squeeze out an extra couple hours in the morning to get out. And and Wednesday seemed like the day, you know, and I was like, all right, cool. Like rain's coming through Tuesday. Should be kind of crappy Wednesday. Things clear out deer should move like feels like a good day. And of course, like, you know, get up this morning. It wasn't raining nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be like, you know, around six o'clock, which I could have got out, you know, it was just like a nice light drizzle, just perfect kind of bow hunting day, a little bit of precip, nothing crazy. And you're right, man. Like any, all the cell cameras I had started, started blowing up this morning and I got all kinds of buck activity and I'm sitting staring at a computer screen. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, that's, I kind of had the same thing going on. I, I have today off normally and uh, I took Wednesday and and Thursday, so I kind of wanted to. I had planned. I told the wife, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's gonna rain, so I'm gonna take the kids for a ride and you know get them out of her hair for a while, so I could have the next couple of days. And uh, yeah, so it, it it hurt driving around seeing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah for sure. It's uh, and it was a buck that I hadn't seen before. Like the, one of them at least was a brand new guy, and it was an, actually an area that I hunted. Okay. I hunted it on the 18th. And i talked about this in the past and we'll, and we'll get into some of this, but I've kind of followed this one particular area and have some annual data on it. That kind of seems to hold really, really true uh, around this particular yeah. scrape. And so I played that, that to a T this year and actually had an encounter with a great shooter buck. And I think I even texted to you or whatever, but I, I had him at 18 yards. I <laughs> just, I just couldn't yeah. get a, get a shot off. Um,
2: yeah. You were telling me about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that was the one of the two that I knew of in there that were, you know, that I was willing to kill that were both, you know, mature deer. And, uh, then this other joker shows up today and I'm like, wow, okay, cool. I was like, I'd never seen him before, <laughs> nice. you know? Yeah, so it's like,
2: absolutely. It's always good. that's, that's, you know, a horrible thing when another one cho- shows up, you know? <laughs>
1: right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's uh, i I'm happy to shoot any of the, uh, any of the three. So that's the spot I'm planning to, to try to slip into tomorrow. Um, nice and see if I can't stick an arrow in, in one of them. I'm hoping my fingers are crossed that I have to text into work and say, Hey, I'm gonna have to take a personal day today. Cause I'm dragging something out. That's, that's the hope right, anyway, yeah. but uh, we, yeah, we shall see. But before we get too far gone on this man, you know, I always like to kind of just kick things off. Uh, so people out there listening, know a little bit about you, if you wouldn't mind, you know, let the folks listening know, you know, where you're from and what you do for a living.
2: Yeah, sure. So uh, I live in, in Northeastern PA I grew up here. Uh, we moved in from Jersey when I was probably seven, uh, if I remember correctly. And um, I've been here my whole life, um, spent some time in the military. Um, but uh, I grew up basically from the time I can remember just like kind of watching my dad, you know, get his hunting stuff ready on Friday night and, you know, being all pumped up about it. And I, I you know, I used to, um, you know, just really want to go with him, you know. And of mm-hmm. course, in here in PA, you're talking, you know, 12 years old. You're not going, you know, back when, when you and I were younger yeah. and I know you're a PA guy, it's, it's, you couldn't get out till you're 12. So, so that's my earliest, kind of my earliest memory. Um, and then, you know, uh, finally getting out when I was 12 and just spending that time with him and, and his friends, he had a, uh, his, his friends had a little hunting cabin up on his land. So I used to go up there and hang out with them and I kind of felt like I was one of the guys, you know, Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, for yeah. Sure. So, ba- so basically, yeah, a long time just watching my dad and, and really, really getting into it with him, you
1: know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I can kind of. It, it's funny, you know. As long as I've been doing this podcast, like you definitely pick up pick up on like the cultural differences from area to area, you know, between Pennsylvania and Michigan, and you know, one of those things, you know, and being from PA, of course, I I lived it and I'm aware of it, you know, it was the hunting camp kind of tra- tradition, um, you know, where the guy and you're exactly right, it, it was, uh, you know. You don't have a lot of exposure to the things when you're a kid, and so you kid. Know, your your uncles and your grandfathers and your dad are really kind of like those, you know, men's men, you know. And it's like that's they're like Superman and eighty feet tall, and like all you want to do is, you know, be like them, essentially, right? And so, right, right, when, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, when they finally invite you into the circle, you know, and you're able to play some cards with them or whatever, it's like, man, you just you might only be twelve, but you feel like you're thirty five. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You know, so, you know, whenever you started kind of hunting, you know, was it, you know, did you get into, you know, deer hunting at first bow hunting? And did you kind of start with small game or what, what did that kind of, I guess, your introduction look like?
2: Yeah, sure. So, so I've always been like real passionate about deer. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I love to hunt them, but I love to learn about them too. Mm -hmm. So that was the big thing. And we were you know, opening day for rifle season was kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Christmas at my household. So, you know, it was like, it was like Christmas Eve. We were, you know, we'd get all ready to go and, uh, we'd go out to eat with my dad's friends. And, um, but, but for me, I mean, I really, really got into archery hunting and at the time we had, you know, fixed stands, I kind of grew up in, in rolling kind of farmland, you know, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of broken up like fields and, and just broken up woodlots and stuff like that. So uh, the property my dad has, we, we had a lot of fixed stance. We would go and sit in them. And I, I could just remember, like, wanting to get down and move. Like, I got to find out what's over there. I got to find out what's in that valley down there, or what's up on top, you know. And, and, you know, I could just never sit in one spot, you know, even 13, 14 years old. I just, I wanted to move around and, and really find the deer, you know. Right. Um, and just learn as much as I can.
1: So so like that's interesting man like you know, it's funny cuz there's a, there's a handful of dudes you know that I've talked to in the past that mobile hunting was just something that they gravitated toward early before it was even called mobile hunting right like that Oh yeah you know, that's that, that's a common absolutely. term now that you know folks use and it's it's somewhat a I won't say a newer term it's been around for a little while but like you know there are guys like you know Dan is the perfect example right Dan was hunting mobile you know I'm, he's told the story on my show he's told it to other people on other people's shows where he was carrying around a lock-on with a login chain was how he would fix it right. you know a big metal like yeah, stand right, with a, with a right. login chain just because he knew he needed right. to move to find where the deer were so you know so you started kind of you started getting mobile because you wanted to just explore you know and that and that totally makes sense yeah where yeah, was absolutely. it or or when was it where you've where like the whole idea of mobile and, and you started kind of refining it to where it was like, okay, it wasn't just like a curiosity anymore. It was now a strategy right. to put you in the chips. When did that Yeah. Happen?
2: So I, yeah, I could think of, it's funny as that. Cause I could think of the exact time I, I, <clears throat> I would get so frustrated because at the time, like, you know, I didn't have a portable stand or anything like that. So I would be sitting on the ground, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously that's a, you know, a lot harder than being a tree stand. So, I can remember turning 16 and getting my driver's license and like I had a job, um, just a, a little job on the side and I, I saved everything I could and I drove to Dick's boarding goods and I dro- I bought a climbing stand and I'm like, now I can, the, the thought of just going anywhere and getting in a tree was just like, blew me away, you mm-hmm. know? So that weekend, um, I got out in this, uh, this apple orchard that was on the off side of my dad's property. It was a place that we had permission to hunt and, uh, got up a tree and I whacked a doe the first night with it. And then that was it. I was, I was done. I was like, this, this is absolutely awesome. You know, I just kind of fell in love with it at that point. And I just kept pursuing, you know, as far as like, all right, where are the bucks at, you know, and mm-hmm. just, just went after it from there, you know?
1: Right. And so from that point, i'm imagining now, like you mentioned you're like okay this this is how i need to be I need to be doing it this way to find to find the deer and to constantly kind of be in a place where I have opportunity right. was there where did you or maybe you did maybe you were just learning it on your own i don't want to put words in your mouth, but was there a place in particular was a a mentor or someone who you knew was kind of like who was mobile hunting, or where did you turn to for kind of information you know about that style about? you know, the things that we all as mobile hunters kind of go through that learning curve of, okay, you get mobile, sure. but then it's like, all right, well, now I really need to think about access. Cause I'm just kind of, I can't be meandering about, now I need to think about wind. I need to think about my thermals, like where, and how did you start to kind of pick those things up to, I guess, sharpen the sword, so to speak?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I mean, like I said, my dad kind of, those guys would just sit in stands and, um, you know, that's just where they would go uh for me i used to read a lot of magazines at the time um you know it was you know in the 90s and you know we had hunting shows and all this stuff so i kind of tried to learn from them but it wasn't exactly the best source to kind of learn learn from mm-hmm. so because i would do some of the things that they're saying you need to do and i just wouldn't see anything because we're we're in a really I don't know if I mentioned, but we're in like a real high pressured area. Like you yep. do a lot of deer drives and, and that type of thing. So, um, I mean, I would just walk through the woods. I would take Sundays cause you couldn't hunt on Sundays here in Pennsylvania and just, you know, try to find, okay, where's the deer sign at? You know, what am, what am I looking for? I'm looking for scrapes, rubs, um, just kind of starting off just like real basic stuff and, uh, move into those areas. Um, uh, think about, you know, okay, which, which way is the wind coming from? How do I have to get in here? Um, you know, uh, when are they going to be here was the biggest thing. You know, what part of the season, You know, what time of, time of year are they going to be here? And, and that kind of really, I want to say that that really took off um, when I got back from, from the Middle East. I spent some time in Iraq. So I think when I got back from the Middle East is when I really started to, to hone in on those things. Now, that, this is at the age of, I want to say, like 23, so right. 23, 24. You know, nice. so that's when I really started to, to think about like really hard and strategize about things.
1: Right. Yeah. I know for me, you know, it was it was a couple things where it's like I, I wanted to I wanted to get away from kind of hunting some of the family property that we had and stuff like that, and, and because I was feeling yeah. like I was limited. There was a particular deer that I had to experience with where I knew where he was bedded. And I've told this story before, so I won't belabor it, but I knew where he was bedded. It was on the neighbor and I couldn't go kill him. And I really had to just kind of wait for him. I just got kind of tired right. of waiting. And I was like, man, I want to be places where yep. it's like, if I know where something is, I want to just be able to go get it, you know?
2: Yeah, and, absolutely. No, yeah, no, no question.
1: You know, and so that was kind of like my mindset. And I certainly screwed some stuff up. And then for me, it was really when I found the hunting beast, which kind of changed right. that, that kind of changed my world, you know, at that point. And it wasn't just Dan, cause I didn't know Dan at that time. It was more talking to guys who were like, like you or like local to me, like Greg Litzinger or Tim Bunau, who now sure. lives in Montana, just guys who were like, they were part of like the beast circle, if you will, like the larger circle that kind of like adopted Dan's principles and having kind of direct contact with them and being able to talk to them and kind of pick their brains and stuff like that. That was whenever it really all started clicking for me where I was like, okay, sure. I get, it. I get it now, sure. you know? And so, it's Just so cool now that there's so many resources out there for someone if they really want to get mobile and they want to kind of use that strategy and that approach, there's no shortage of places to find information where they can you can set someone in the right path as opposed to uh, yeah, a, a bunch absolutely. of trail and error, you know what I mean
2: yeah, no questions, yeah, I found the beast kind of later i What really got me going was when I came back, you know um, I really really kind of got like I said more into it then, but I actually uh started reading. Uh, john eberhardt's books and okay. that you know he was from uh, an area that was real similar to mine like michigan real, real heavily you know pressured uh and a lot of his stuff made sense to me and um you know so i i started with that and i just started killing really decent bucks for my area you mm-hmm. know like it was now they, they're like you know 90 inches 100 inches and um Uh, but it was kind of the best that the area had to provide at the time, you know? And, and I remember just getting like it, you know, a few years of that went by and I'm just like, you know what? Like I want, I want something bigger. I want to be able to go chase it. I want to be able to hunt it down. And I'm, I'm just not seeing, you know, in the area that I'm hunting, I'm not seeing the caliber of deer that I want to step up, you know, to the next level. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Basically, um, and I just wasn't seeing him here and I, I just felt confined, you yeah. know, um, I just, I wanted to, to get out there.
1: Yeah, no, I, t- I can totally understand that. And John is one of those guys where it's like, and I've said this in the past before, where it's like, there's two guys that have probably influenced me the most, you know, that people would know or mm. recognize, you know, and then I've kind of took their teachings really to heart and it has directly kind of con- like, I can point to particular deer that I've killed. And been like, I use this guy's approach to this. Right. And it's been Dan and and John, you know, John really his approach to uh, like freelance hunting to me, you know, and I know Dan kind of does something similar. Like, you know, he, he, it's that mobile idea, you know, John will sometimes though do complete hunts where it's like, he like blind doesn't not like to necessarily, but he can, and he calls it like a freelance hunter, a freestyle hunt. And I've really kind of adopted it and I love it. And I, to the point to where it's like, when I go out of state, like I typically don't even scout anymore. Like I just show up and hunt, you know, yeah, and it's absolutely. just, it's just yeah. this freeing yep. feeling, you know, and really kind of focusing on scrapes near bedding, you know, bedding cover or near, near, you know, side cover, you know, that's yep. a big John Eberhardt thing. Right. And that's something I picked up and I've killed bucks doing that. And then. With Dan, you know, it's like the classic top third betting type of situation where it's like I've had success doing that. And so it's a little bit of a blending of the two. And that's what I always try to tell people is that take the best stuff from each person that works for you, because there's certain things that John does that like, I, that just doesn't work for me. You know, there's certain things Dan does that just doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? And so after a while you start figuring out like these bits and pieces from all these people that. You know, actually works for you. And you create your own approach. You create your own style, if you will, right? And that's...
2: Absolutely. Yep. I, I always, I always try to tell people like these guys can give you a base layer of mm-hmm. what you need to know, basic deer behavior. But you know, when when I really excelled um, as far as like uh, you know, learning deer a little bit better, it was more when I took that information and kind of went out and not necessarily forgot it all. Like I had in the back of my head but I set out to like learn for my own really, you know, and even test some of the things that, that I was hearing. And that's when you really, I think, I think grow as a hunter. And and I think, I think you grow because it's, it's like you can sit and listen to podcasts and listen to stuff all day long. And what you're going to do is you're going to go out there and okay, what should these deer be doing based on what I'm hearing Mm -hmm. as opposed to going out there and saying okay, what letting that, letting the deer tell you, what they're doing as opposed to looking for something they should be doing.
1: Yeah. I yeah. mean, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And it, you know, it's one of those things where you let the deer teach you, you like you, like to your yeah. point, you know, these guys have had all this experience and, and they can give you a framework. And that's kind of what I always say. Cause you know, I'll get, I had a person message I me, mean, I think it was last, last week, you know, just kind of saying that they've been trying like beast style hunting. They've listened to the podcast or whatever, and they've been trying that beast approach and they're struggling. And, right. you know, and it's really, it, because it's, it, it's not a solution. It's a framework to kind of create your own solution. You know what I mean? That's Correct. really kind of how it's yep. like, I, I view it. And and to your point, you just need to be around deer and the deer will start to teach you deer things. You know? And that's one of the, yep. one of my favorite things yep. to do, especially, you know, I try to take a camera with me in the woods all the time now. And so I've had some decent encounters this year, you know, a couple shots, or not shots, but a couple encounters on some shooters that i you know, blew the opportunity or one, I just didn't get an opportunity. The other one, it was kind of my fault. I didn't get kind of prepared in time. Then the deer was head up on me and I didn't get a shot opportunity, but regardless filming them and watching them and even deer that I pass, I love going back and rewatching the footage. You know what I mean? And like, because it's like, I'm watching it in real time, you know, and just watching a deer do deer things and getting an education. Like I'm watching how he's using the wind. I'm watching like, how he's working a licking branch. I'm walking how he's approaching a scrape. I'm watching his body language. You know what I mean? To understand yep. like, is he tense? Is he is he calm? Does he feel like, does it look like he's like the cock of the walk in this area? Like he's the dominant buck. Like all those behavioral things like I'm trying to pick up on. And then I love going back and watching the footage and like reexamining it and watching the deer do deer things because they are the best teachers you could possibly have. And the more times you get an opportunity to do that, man, I just I feel like the better encounters I've had, you know, especially over the past, like say five years or so has made me so much a better hunter just from those deer encounters that I've had. If that makes sense.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. A hundred percent.
1: question. So man, I, I want to circle back to one thing here real quick, not to sound like the white house press secretary with the circle back, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> um, right. I, I want to talk like you mentioned, and it's a bless again. This is like the blessed and curse podcast. We were talking about blessed and curse with the, with the cell cameras, yeah. but you you mentioned not being able to hunt on Sunday, and like to a lot of my buddies that live in the these midwestern states, like that is just like a foreign thing to them. And oh yeah, you know, it's a blessing and it's a curse, right? It's a curse in the sense that I want to hunt Sunday, like that's like my kind of position on it. Like I want to hunt Sunday. There's limited time. I want to get out as often as I can. The only way to me that it's a, it's a blessing is that it actually forces me that day to go out and scout. Like a lot of times it's like, I'll take Sunday as my scout day because I can't hunt, you know, whereas I'd probably be, be hunting. Now I I'll scout and like still hunt and scout my way into places and stuff like that. But because there's no chance of like really setting up and I don't want to necessarily burn out a spot or whatever, like on a Sunday, it's like, I'll just take a walk through somewhere that I'm like, "Mm, maybe this deer transitioned here. Let me go check it out and see if I can pick up any sign, you know? But I know that you do a fair amount of work and writing and stuff like that, in in in, in advocacy for for Sunday hunting. So, what's the, uh, you know, with anything you, that you know or that you can divulge? Like, what's the status of of Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania currently?
2: Yeah, so so currently, I'm the uh, veteran outreach specialist, I guess you want to call it, kind of mm-hmm. title, whatever, <laughs> to uh, uh the uh Sunday hunting committee, uh, Hunters United for Sunday hunting. We have a Facebook group. Um, and, and basically there's a bill in the Senate right now that's been tabled. And when I say tabled, I mean, it's been put on the table and it has to come off the table to basically be voted on. And somebody has to take it off the table for them to vote it, to vote on it rather. So, uh, that's where it's at right now. Obviously we've got our three Sundays, um, from last year's legislation. Um, but we're looking to totally remove that blue law um, of, you know, not being able to hunt on Sunday. And, uh, uh, once we do that, we basically put everything in the hands of the Pennsylvania game commission and and the big mis- uh, misconception, which I want really wanted to clear up a lot of people I talk to think that the game commission has some kind of control over this. or they can, and they can't, this is right. an old blue law from, from years ago. It stems from the same laws that were way back when, when you could not play sports on Sunday when you couldn't attend a movie on Sunday, when you couldn't buy gas, you couldn't shop, um, you couldn't fish on Sunday. So that's all of these, these blue laws were in place and they were all removed. Um, but in some places even deemed unconstitutional, really. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that was the, the one main thing. And, and basically what we need people to do at this point is to contact your representatives um the senators from your area and you got to tell them like you want this bill to move forward you know yeah. um we really you know and you can do that in the form of of emails or phone calls and if you uh you know you can always contact me which we'll get into later but uh we have the you know Hunters United for Sunday Hunting um Facebook group you can jump on there and we always have lists of senators from your area that you can contact to try to get these things you know get these things get get this bill moving you
1: know? yeah yeah it's it's interesting because i've heard the same thing you know and i actually met with some of the fellows earlier i was sometime this summer with some of the folks from the game commission and uh sure and and i think if i'm remembering correctly they we brought we talked a little bit about sunday hunting during that session as well and uh and they said the same thing you know which is interesting that a lot of people think it's their it's their doing but it but it's not um right. and, and in my right. opinion, not to get all you know political or whatever, but it's a little bit of a position of government overreach you know you have bodies in, you know you have bodies in place um and maybe at the time it made sense for the you know for the um you know the 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 political side of i guess you would say of government. To kind of manage manage that, if you will, because you know at that time you know there likely wasn't a game commission, <laughs> you know what I mean. So the, <laughs> right, the state had right. to kind of figure out how do we manage these things, right? And they managed it under a broad kind of you know a broad scope of how they're just going to manage things in general. But once there right. was you know a game commission, it kind of makes sense. That the game commission is controlling you know all all facets of of the game in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm obviously an advocate for Sunday hunting. You know, I don't understand why, why, why folks wouldn't be, I, I get that there's like some people who are holding steadfast to the idea of not having it from a tradition perspective or, or whatever the case is, but, you know, pretty much every other state with the exception of a few Northern states who, you know, not surprisingly, I think are also under like the blue law kind of issue. <laughs> some of the other Northeastern states that, um, Correct. you know, that, that had blue laws as as, as well. So Hopefully we'll get that thing flipped, man. Cause I certainly enjoyed some of those Sundays last year. Um, you know, there was a, uh, had a really good encounter with a, a really good buck last year on one of those Sundays that I was able to get out and hunt. And uh, it'd just be great to have an opportunity to get out into the timber a few more times. Um, you know, I don't think it's bad for anybody, especially veterans, man. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where it just gives, you know, they give a lot and uh, it'd be nice whenever they, when they, when they come back, that they if they so choose to spend that that time in the timber to decompress or whatever that it's available to them any day of the week not just monday through saturday you know what i mean hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load without the right boots you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge at midway usa we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier with just a few clicks of a mouse you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's another big thing um, with being a veteran. It was, you know, there's a lot to it, but essentially coming back from the Middle East um, in two in two thousand, you know, four. Um, you know, hunting for me kind of took on a whole new meaning. It was sitting in that tree and just enjoying my time out. I was focused on finding deer when I'm scouting, you know, focused on something else. And it's just a, a piece that it's it's almost therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I actually actually wrote an article for the, um, uh, the VFW quarterly paper about that. And uh, there's a couple of organizations that I mentioned in that article that actually do free hunts for veterans, for disabled veterans. And, you know, they found like the the therapy that comes from those is just invaluable. And in many cases that um, with this stuff, it's it's literally saved their lives, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's kind of one of those things that it's extremely important in both of these organizations. Uh, the one mainly, it's, it's, it, it kind of, without having a Sunday that kind of limits them because now they're, they're spending, you know, obviously, they want that day, you know, to get right. out. So they're, they're spending time in other states with these veterans that, you know, they could be spending here in Pennsylvania. You know, so yeah. when you when you travel out of when you have a Pennsylvania based organization that's traveling to, you know, New York or somewhere else on a Sunday, it's, it's costing them more money you know, yeah. to do
1: this, it's costing know, so. them more, more money. And it's also costing the state money because that's the, that's hotel fees, gas fees, tolls, et cetera, et, et cetera, that the state could, that the state could generate, you know, f- with that, with um, those, you know, extra, extra days hunting, you know, there's obviously a math er- equation. that goes in, in part of that. There's a multiplier that, that occurs, um, you know, especially if we want to attract additional out of state hunters. And stuff like that, you know, whether Absolutely. it's from Jersey or New right. York or whatever the whatever the case is, because it's, it's I think it's quickly becoming not such a well-kept secret that, you know, Pennsylvania is, uh, for all the kind of, you know, heat that sometimes the Game Commission takes, like, they've done a pretty good job as far as managing the herd overall and just the caliber of deer that you're able to see come out of Pennsylvania now that you didn't see, like you were saying, in the 90s. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. That, that wasn't mm, yeah, the case. It, you know what I mean? It's right.
2: So, Right. And, yeah, uh, I mean, each year that goes by, like the the deer on my trail cameras just get bigger and bigger. It's like, it's crazy. Oh, I know. I know. It's... You know, the, the one, the one spot you and I spoke about, um, you know, that we're kind of, we kind of are in the same general area. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I walked through there, this particular area that I just basically picked off a map and I set up probably six, seven cameras, um, mm-hmm. and I checked those in August, and I was just I'm just like, "Dear Lord!" <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, you know, yeah. you're, you know, you've got something going on when I, I mean, I've we, you and I've shared some trail camera pictures and stuff like that, and sure. videos and stuff. And uh, some of those I sent to a buddy of mine. I'll, I'll mention his name. I'm not sure if he listens to the podcast, but his name's Corey. He's in Iowa. Sure. Um, I met him just like r- random chance at the. Uh, we both were hunting the same piece of public in Iowa. He's a local and uh, we met at our trucks were parked next to each other at the parking lot. And we both came out about the same time. We just got to know each other. And, and that was a couple of years ago and we've, we've just stayed in touch since. Um, yeah. and so, you know, we don't talk a lot, but usually around hunting season, we'll start texting. And I sent him a couple of pictures and some videos from some of the, the deer that, you know, you and I have kind of talked about. And, uh, his, his response back to me was, Holy shit, <laughs> you know, Yeah, you know, and that's like whenever, <laughs> yeah. when a guy from Iowa, if, when that's his response to you, you know what I mean? For the deer that you're finding and look, you know, I know that there's bigger deer in Iowa, but you know, a couple of those deer that we've, uh, that we've been able to kind of find, um, there wouldn't be a lot of people that would pass those in those Midwestern States, put it that way. You know what I oh, mean? I agree. So yeah, it's, I, uh, I absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, man, hard transition here. To I want to get a sense, man, how your season's going, dude. How are how are things? I mean, I know, I know, we talked a little bit. I know you had a a, a chance encounter with uh, a a brush with what you thought might be one of the one of the hit listers that you've had your had your eye on this year. But how how have things gone so far?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's I'm I'm <laughs> close to no cigar. You know, what I mean, it's yeah. kind of one of those things. I, I uh, so the the buck that. I had, um, on camera early on, um, in this, this spot that you know about, you know, that we're both on, um, uh, I went in there, he was, he was showing up, it was like real consistently in the morning. And I mean, like seven thirty to eight thirty every morning. Wow. So, and that's, you know, through September timeframe, all, you know, October, August September time frame, right? So I know something I know something's gonna happen here. That he's gonna shift, he's gonna do something. Um, but I, I moved into that area and I just thought to myself, you know, there's not a lot of pressure here. I'm I'm gonna just give this a shot. And I on my way in I pulled two camera cards, which mm-hmm. it was still dark obviously. I climbed my tree, stuck in my pocket. Um, so it was like right around eight o'clock I heard something move probably about seventy yards out, sixty, seventy yards out. And I just heard a real deep grunt, and you know, I I don't know a hundred percent if it was him or not, but it was definitely a mature animal. Right. Um, And it just kind of moved off through a um, you know through a pinch point uh, towards a swamp, and you know, so that was that was the the first one that was opening day. Um, So I'm sitting there, and I I stuck it out till probably ten o'clock, and I pulled these I pulled my camera cards. And I've got this giant, I don't, he must be probably 140, maybe 150, with a kicker off his G2. And mm-hmm. and that deer was in that spot, I mean, 10 to 15 different times in the month of September. Wow. So, yeah, he was, but, you know, being in there, I didn't see him that morning. Um, I kind of went back about a week later and the cameras just went totally cold. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I don't know if he came back through and kind of smelled I was there, and you know, a lot of times early season you get that one shot, and yeah. you know, if he doesn't show, you know, if he's there consistently, he's going to know you're there. You know, what I mean, they just they're keyed up, they know. You
1: know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm <clears throat> I kind of had the same thing. I mean, I only got a chance to hunt it once. There was a good a good deer that I was trying to figure out. I thought I found one of his beds. That's the hard part in the big woods right, like that. It's like right. they, they bed almost anywhere. You know, it's like they just they're almost like nomadic to a degree. It's, you know, somewhat frustrating, but I had a good beat on like this one bed. And I thought and again, it was earlier in the season. So I was like, yeah, okay, he's been in here in daylight. Like I've had him a couple times daylight. Like if there's a chance, it's probably going to be here. You know, and this is really the only yep. bit of until I had never saw him, never saw anything. And, and similar to what you said, I had a couple cameras that really kind of lit up, but man, I mean, right at the beginning, I, I had a little bit of play, like right at the beginning of October. And then they just died. And then I, just yep. did a, just did like another pool recently and it was right around like, uh, the 13th and 15th, like they flipped back on for like a couple days and that was, and that was it. And then I haven't really had anything since, um, you know, so I mean, right. there's they're somewhere, right. I just haven't quite figured out that place yet as far as where they want to spend time. The food up there shifts, like there's not a lot of Oaks necessarily, you know, if, I mean, they're in pockets you know, but I just haven't quite figured out like the food situation there. And it seems like those right. kind of congregate in kind of specific areas and they're not, you know, it's the craziest thing. Cause most of the cameras that I had hung, I mean, I rarely got any does on camera. It was all bucks, you know, which, you know, woe is me. But when you start getting into mid to later October, it's like, I want to see some does.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And it's funny because there's another, uh, as far as the dough showing up um there's another area that i have and that i'm a lot more familiar with that i've i've been at for probably 5 or 6 years now mm-hmm. and so what i decided to do in that particular area is you know i, I walked it pretty good and i found like <clears throat> i want to say like 18 to 20 different scrape locations mm-hmm. so i just went out and got a bunch of cameras those cheap cameras from walmart and and starting in april i decided that you know what, i'm going to hang I'm going to hang a camera on every single one of these scrapes and I'm just going to figure out when these deer are showing up and um, you know, how often and what time during the day and all that. So I did that. And then I had probably 10 different bedding exit trails that I basically hung these cameras on these trails further away from the bedding. Now I know where the bedding is on this particular area. So it was easy to know like, okay, um, you know, This trail's coming from from this particular or that particular or whatever. uh, So I checked those cameras in, I want to say, maybe like July. And Mm -hmm. I really had no bucks on anything in these scrapes. But I had two high-elevation scrapes that these does, I mean, they were on every single day. And Mm -hmm. it was like probably four or five different family groups. Um, So two, got to figure, like two of these 18 scrapes are getting just killed with does and it wasn't the scrapes it was the licking branches yeah and it kind of occurred to me i'm sitting here thinking myself like you know what every deer in this area every doe rather in this area is is basically hitting this licking branch these have got to be the two best spots during the rut like they have Mm -hmm. to be you know like when when you know a buck can cruise by that spot and know basically the status of every doe in that area yeah, you those
1: know. doe fam- those doe families aren't going anywhere. Yeah, I mean they absolutely. they found a home and they're gonna I mean if <clears throat> especially if they're hitting it often in daylight, like they're probably not bedded far from it and they're probably not gonna change their, their bedding for anything really until they kick their fawns out and they start getting pushed around by bucks.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And this was a higher higher elevation area, you know, with, with lots of cover. So it was definitely a doe bedding area. Mm-hmm. Um and and uh so that that was kind of my strategy, which we haven't really were kind of there I I immediately put two cell cameras there so um okay. uh you know I'm I'm just next week when I have off I'm going to I'm going to move into that particular spot depending on when I see them starting to show up but early on I moved away from from I moved into this area away from the area that you and I were discussing earlier and uh so I I decided that you know my early kind of early seeing strategy I'm just going to go from camera to camera in my low spots on these exit trails and just check and see you know being real mobile, what do I have coming in? Where do I think they're coming from? And that resulted in two encounters um, uh, really in drains um, (laughs) where I I was finding a lot of these these deer come, they're just using drains to funnel down. Um, So they're bedded basically up on these points. And so a drain, like, you know, like what it produces is points, points along the drain that are real steep real steep terrain and as you go up um it's real like heavy with cover so the deer i mean these buck were just basically running right down the drain so i set up um on two separate occasions the first one uh he i think it was one of the bucks i was after i'm not a hundred percent i really didn't get a good look at him but it got to me right at dark so i'm just like "Ah." so i sat there let him move past climb down and then it was the the tuesday it was like Groundhog Day, same thing on a different drain, different point. Um, this one I got a better look at, and it was definitely a shooter. I don't know exactly how big he was, but it was kind of that gray light right. kind of time frame where you really can't make the shot, but you can see the outline and I had just think about climbing down, and I looked up, and there he was. I'm like, hmm. gotta be kidding me. so. <laughs> Like, I'm right there, you know what I right. mean? But it's it's so hard because I know where their bed is, and there's a hard cover line. And what I'm finding is they'll bed just in that cover to where they're kind of surrounded, but they're looking down into the open, into these, these drain spots and where I'm basically coming from. So, like, how close do I dare get? Like, you know what I mean? Right. It's like I know I can see this tree from that bed, you know what I mean? But I'm right. still... 150 yards down the woods, you right. know what I
1: mean? So. so so when you talk about these drains, man, like how deep are these, how deep are these cuts? Like, are you talking like, yeah. like almost like mountain runoff in between like two mountains or two ridges? Or are you talking about like a very subtle kind of depression in the topography that is just low enough that deer are kind of using it to get up and down, you know, ridges or mountains? Yeah. So, so
2: I've seen it. I've seen both. Mm-hmm. um I've, I've seen deer using both so it's, it's the one is a real steep uh real deep drain it's big it's broad um you know uh and then the other one is a little more subtle but the two things that these drains have in common once you get towards the top extremely steep terrain and mm-hmm. i mean like can't walk on some of it um uh loaded with cover um, real heavy mountain laurel so uh, you know and sitting in these drains it's it's funny because you can walk, you can, you can use the the drain to access and the bigger drain, all I need to do is get on the edge and it sucks my wind, my thermals, like right down into the, into the drain and, and down. So, um, it's a really good setup. It's kind of one of those bulletproof deals that like a Troy Pottinger talks about where, yeah. you know, you're getting up in these things and, and, you know, they're not smelling and you can hunt it a few different times. Um, <clears throat> so I've seen them use both, you know?
1: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because there's a couple setups I'm thinking of, and I just like you know I've been having a hard time trying to figure out where the best kind of opportunity to kind of intercept these these deer are because there are some some of those terrain features around. In fact, yesterday I just started looking at them on the map, going like, "All right," because I I knew you and I had kind of talked prior to doing the podcast, and you mentioned drainages. And so I went back to the map and started looking like I was like, all right, yeah. where, I've, where I've seen these deer and I've had them on camera. Where are the closest drainages to this? You know what I mean? And like yep. where where might they You know, What might they be using? Um, that's interesting, man. Like so for as far as like exits, because I know you said you're putting you know, you're putting cameras on on exits uh, yeah. or bedding exits. Like how are you finding are you talking about doe bedding or are you just talking about like real thick areas? that kind of seems like it would be like it would be adequate betting for you know whether it's you know bucks or does
2: yeah so so that that's basically yeah it. it's it's i'm looking at these betting areas and i'm like okay this really looks like a buck betting area um but there could be does there too so I, I just the general areas is where i'm putting you know just and i put the cameras there to really see what's coming out and kind of find that information out and right. and what i'm finding is is they're they're more nomadic than what you know, I was kind of led to believe, um, you know, mm-hmm. I'll get one on camera and, you know, he may be there one or two days and then he's moving on, yeah. you know? Um, and, and so that kind of struck me as like, okay, if, if I, if I get, you know, if I get a buck on camera, like I need to get on that right away and getting back to, um, even sign, like, you mm-hmm. know, like, okay, it's, it's getting on that freshest sign that we always hear guys talking about. It just yeah. reiterates, like when you get that fresh sign, you got to get on that right away, you know? Yeah.
1: Um, Especially in places jump. like that, because they could be two freaking ridges over within like the next half a day and never see them for another three weeks. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. um. so, I mean, you, you mentioned, cause I, I'm thinking now about my scouting in some of these general areas and I'm wondering because I'll tell you what I've seen in some of this. You tell me if, if you can corroborate it or if you're feeling like you're seeing something different in different elevations. Because what I kind of noticed when I was, I was scouting and whenever I was pulling cameras and stuff like that is that I've actually seen a lot of kind of activity, not so much in flat areas, almost on side hills and not the top third. Like you would hear like the classic kind of beast style, like get to the top third. Like that's where the thermal tunnel is and that's where deer are going to want to spend time. I have actually kind of found the opposite where it's like, I've actually found more action in like the middle third than I have the, than I have the top third. Cause I feel like the top third in this area, you start to get to a point to where like the habitat isn't so great for deer necessarily. You know what I mean? Where there's not like, there's a lot of like mountain laurel or laurel and stuff like that. So there's plenty of cover, but there's like nothing for food. There's no, there's no, there's no white oaks. There's no acorns really not any ferns. It's just kind of laurel and just like tall, open timber otherwise. Right. So right. that's kind of been what I've noticed. I'm curious if you've seen the same things or if you're, or if, or if you're finding like, no, I'm finding scrapes in those, in those higher elevations and I'm finding more consistent movement in those higher elevations or vice versa. I'm just curious what you've, what you've seen.
2: Yeah. So, so I'm finding, I'm finding them in both spots. I'm finding the scrapes in the high elevation areas and I'm finding them in the lower elevation areas. Now, the, the difference I think, um, is the day and night. Mm-hmm. So what I'm seeing is, is more daytime activity towards the top and your mm-hmm. nighttime activity is on those scrapes in the bottoms. Um, but the, the big thing that you touched on and I think is really important is the food. Um, you know, they're going to lay there, you know, they're not going to lay in one spot all day, but they're going to get up, you know, move around a, li- a little bit of food. Gee, there's a lot of acorns in this particular spot, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and especially these ditches, which, which circling around back to that, what what I'm seeing in the ditches is like little runoffs that may come down into the main ditch. And when you get that and you have some break in the canopy over top, it creates almost like little food plots along these ditches. And and you you throw in some like real heavy bedding cover with that, and I mean, that's like gold. I mean, that's, right. so So I think what you're, what you're seeing, um, you know, it, versus what I'm seeing, I think it's just a matter of where's the food, you know, right. where's the food, where's the cover? I mean, yeah, that's that, just my opinion anyway. I mean, yeah, that's
1: <laughs> the, that's the hardest part that I'm having up there, you know, or that particular area at the moment is just, you know, uh, locating where the food is at, you know, um, right in trying to understand like how it, how it shifts, you know? And like, I'm having to kind of get an education on like what they're eating aside from like green briar and acorns, you know what
2: I mean? Cause there's,
1: yeah. Cause there's not a ton of that necessarily of either, to be honest. And when you find like right. pockets of it, like great, but those pockets are few and far between. And they're and what I've noticed too, is like where some of those are located, you know, I'd found an area that's just like littered with acorns, but it's also an area that's just, it's going to be the most pressured area on the whole. In the whole, in the whole, like tens of thousands of acres, there'll be more people in that particular area than any other spot. And just, yeah. just based on the, <laughs> just based on the access. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's the other thing that I've kind of been, been battling is, is just you know trying to, trying to find the food and. I've not done a great job of it, admittedly. To uh, to this point, the other part that I've, had, I've struggled with too is just finding like scrapes. I mean, I, like it sounds like you found like a handful. Is there any consistency to where you're finding like community scrapes and and stuff like that? Is there like an elevation that you seem to where they seem to kind of pop up more often than not, or is there a certain species of tree that you're kind of going back to Troy Pottinger? Is there a certain species of tree that you're noticing yeah. that they're liking to like liking to lay scrapes down with?
2: Yeah. So so. I can really i can't the, the other particular area that you and I are on that that's what's tough yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that's a tough area now, I'm just not seeing the same sign uh and I haven't really scouted it a lot either. I mean the first time I really walked this particular spot was kind of um you know early spring this year, but in the other spot um yeah there there's an elevation that they run um there's no question about it, and those the the two spots that I'm talking about these uh higher elevation scrapes um they're getting all daytime activity. And I mean, there's almost no nighttime activity in these spots. So um, I think it, I really do think it varies on the terrain and the particular area because those two areas are night and day. I mean, they're just, it's crazy the difference, you know, you can find consistency in one and in the other one, it's just like I'm in there and I feel like I'm like, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? like <laughs> holy. <fuck. laughs> it's like yeah, it's it's tough man. Yeah. Um, but but in the one particular area, yeah, I, it's high elevation scrapes in cover surrounded by food. Um and another thing that I kind of want to to mention is you have to look at where and and I know this has been said before, but you have to look at where is all the pressure coming from. Yeah. You know what I mean? In in certain spots and if it's coming from low, you know, they're they're going to be up there. You know, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, it's great. It's a great point. You know, it, the one area that we are seeing a little bit of consistent kind of action, if you will, and like the most sign that's been kind of laid down, there is a, there's a barrier in the way that people aren't going to want to go through over or a- across to get to it. Right. And that's the one area where, you know, a mutual friend of ours who, who, kind of lives in the area has been hunting this particular area and that's where the best sign is kind of being laid down at the at the moment and sure. the fresh and the freshest and the most consistent and there's yep. a big deer there's two big deer that we know of that we've had on camera that are consistently staying on camera from like you know they actually summered not far away and then we've ca- we've seen them now also like mid-october hanging out so they're don't know that they're calling that home but they're their fall range is, of course, overlapping with that particular area that they've spent, that they spent some time in there in the summer. You know, so sure. that's probably the sure. best place for an opportunity uh, to, uh, to to get one on the ground at this point, it's, it seems like.
0: Absolutely.
1: But, uh, man, I know you, I know you, we talked a little bit about cameras and how you're using them and stuff like that. But you're also doing, like, a pretty significant inventory, if I'm not mistaken, right, over kind of, like, yeah. s- scrape activity and stuff like that. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, um so I my my goal with with kind of running these cameras was it, it was always like I want to see where they're shifting to um you know are they really shifting or are they just kind of laying low come October and what is the 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 basically the quality of of buck that I have and and when are they when are they moving through so as far as inventory goes basically what I saw was in these two particular spots that I'm talking about was groups of bucks just come through during, they started showing up. I want to say like kind of mid to late August into September Mm -hmm. on these, on these two particular scrapes. And it was almost kind of like they were doing a walkthrough, you know, like kind of like checking them out, almost scoping out, like, you know, like a couple, uh, I don't know, a couple of teenagers, you know, scoping out nightclubs. You know what I right. mean? Like, what, t- so, what time frame was that? Um, as far as your, the daytime during the day? or No, 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 duh, or, d- date. Oh, date. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that I started seeing like um, mid-August. I think I started to see. You know, what's interesting um,
1: is, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that actually, no, go ahead. Uh, that actually lines up with something that Chad and I, Chad from Exodus and I have both watched. And sure. Uh, Picked this up from, you know, I think it was one of the Drury's actually mentioned it where you'll have a period of time. And it's usually like in that uh, and I've actually seen it hold true on like two different two different properties where you'll have kind of new bucks kind of show up between like that 18th and 20th time frame. Roughly the 20 like 18th to the 22nd of August that are kind of making a pass through kind of doing exactly what you said, which is like kind of checking stuff out. And then yep. they, and then they end up, that ends up being part of their fall range. So it's almost like absolutely. you're kind of doing a walk through the house before you buy it. You're like, yeah, I'm going to come here and hang out. I'm just going to check it out. See, uh, okay. Yep. These scrapes are still where they're supposed to be. The does are where they're supposed to be. All right, cool. I got it. I know what's happening. Right. You know, right. that's yeah,
2: absolutely, Yeah. It's, it's, and that, that kind of, you know, occurred to me and I'm like, well, geez, you know, I, I really think they're going to produce this year. These these two particular spots. I mean, they have they have all the right ingredients. So I'm just kind of waiting it out to to make my move. You know.
1: Right. So what's uh what's your game plan, man? It's like you know as as we're recording this, as I mentioned, we're at the last week of October and we're about ready to hit sweet November. So what's the uh, what's the what's uh what's Joe's game plan for trying to put one of these mountain bucks on the ground?
2: Yeah. So so tomorrow, you know, it's it's something I always wrestle with, and I try to. I don't have anything really super big on these on these scrapes yet so it's the thought of okay we're coming off of a hard rain do I sit one of these things in the morning you know and try to catch one coming through or do I do I circle around and you know try to backdoor a bedding spot and catch them coming up these drains where I've got them on camera real consistently this past week you know Mm -hmm. um and, and and before that obviously but um so I think tomorrow um I think I'm going to I think I'm going to access the drain that I'm seeing the most use in mm-hmm. and just kind of get to the top and there's a there's a big scrape at the top of this this particular spot this particular drain and uh, we have a perfect wind so I think I'm going to creep in there and in the morning I'm going to set up over that and you know hopefully I can catch one coming up out of the bottom where the the, the food mainly is you know so that's right that's kind of my game plan tomorrow. And then, you know, again, I'm just going to do what I did early. I'm going to drop down, check a few of my cameras, um, see what I've got coming out and just pick the best spot, you know, creep into the best spot that I can, you know, that, that I see based on cameras based on sign, um, you know, kind of go from there. And I think what I really want to see is I really want to see, you know, in the next week, which I'm off, beginning the first week of, of November. So what I really want to see is something bigger show up on my cell cameras that I have
0: right. um,
2: to kind of give me an indication. Okay. They're there, but you know, there's always that thought too. Well, you know what, maybe he's just kind of walking by and skirting it and winding it. So the first week in November, like I'm just going all in, man. If I don't yeah. see anything by then, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna haunt those spots. I know they're there. They showed up there last year. I had an opportunity there last year um, and I'm just going to wait them out. That's, that's what I'm going to do. You know, that, that week that I'm off basically in November.
1: Right now, whenever you get to, you know, it sounds like you and I hunt very, very similarly as far as like pre rut goes, a lot of, you know, focusing in and around primary scrape areas and, you know, in, in, in next to bedding cover and stuff like that. Do yep. you change up your strategies at all when you hit, you know, rut time frame? you know, cause you know you'll have scrapes that kind of go cold, you know, and then come back on oh. you know, turn back on or whatever. How do you kind of approach that? Do you start to transition a little bit more to like, you know, terrain features and stuff like that? Or do you still try to find those scrapes that still seem to be kind of active?
2: Um, I, it's a mix. It, it really just depends on, on what I find when mm-hmm. I'm up there, you know, when I, when I'm poking around and, you know, if I find an ax uh, a big scrape that's that's active and I'm looking at big tracks and I'm looking at a lot of doe activity, I'm going to sit it, you know, yeah. but, um, historically speaking, um, where I've killed a lot of my bucks, um, are in, you know, kind of pinch point or funnel areas that are real close to, to doe bedding and uh doe groups. So mm-hmm. I, I learned again, you know, yet yeah, you think you got these things figured out and you seem to get <laughs> smacked in the head, but <laughs> it was right. last year I set up, um, almost perfectly in this, what I thought was a great pinch point, um, between two doe bedding areas. And, and, uh, it was like 10 a.m. I had this giant, he, he, I'm, I'm going to say he was probably in the one thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched him at about a hundred, 110 yards away, just cruise downwind of the funnel that I was in. So I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And it was terrain that like, you're looking at this terrain and you're like, yeah, I'm not walking over that. Mm-hmm. And it, this buck chose to use that nasty terrain probably because he hadn't smelled anybody or anything there. Um, and it was downwind of, of this funnel. So I thought I was downwind far enough and I wasn't, you know, so this guy, so I, that kind of, kind of taught me a lesson about, you know, how they're using more so the mountains because the funnels that, um, that I've had a lot of success in back home were a little more obvious and they really couldn't get too far downwind because there's a lot of, you know, residential areas, you know, they're running to a house here or whatever, you know, or barn. So, um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, so that was a lesson learned.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely in those bigger woods pieces, man. They definitely have the upper hand when it comes to yeah. you know being yeah. able to kind of maneuver around you and stuff like that. Well. But uh man, I know I've kept you here just about we're up just about on the hour mark here, but I have one more question for you. It's always the hardest question that I ask before I let you sure. go if you're if you're game for it. You ready?
2: Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> All right.
1: So if you had to build a basketball team for a three on three tournament of the best Public land bow hunters that you know, or I shouldn't say that you know, that you could think of, who would those three people be? And they can be people that you know. They can be people that are with us, not with us any longer. They can be famous, not famous. They could be the guy down the road, whoever it is. You have three tags to fill in any state, doesn't matter what state, on public land, and you have to pick three people to fill three tags. Who are those bow hunters? All
2: right. So, yeah, man, that's a tough one. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to say my buddy, uh, Paul Patera, which you've, you've probably heard, I don't know if you've yep. heard of him or not. Yeah. He's from New Jersey. Um, just a really good, really good bow hunter. Um, you know, uh, does most of, you know, he, he did, <laughs> two dairy killed last year. He did it with a stand on his back, you know, <laughs> yeah. creeping in. So, <laughs> um, so I would say uh, he would be, um one of the guys that I pick, uh, and if we're talking, you know, this particular area, um, of guys that know the woods, um, my buddy that I hunt with, I don't know if he wants me to mention his name <laughs> on a podcast, but, I, but it's a, it's a friend that I hunt this other spot with, um, this other kind of, uh, the, the spot that I've been talking about, I, I would definitely choose him. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, the third one, I'm, I'm kind of, I really don't know, you know, um, that's a tough, it's tough. Cause there's a, there's a couple of different guys that I could think of. Um, the one guy that I talked to online that he, I've never really hunted with him, but this guy has kind of mastered like the bump and dump. <laughs> okay. I mean, He's got the wall to prove it. Nice. So I think it would be, it would be, uh, uh, I think it would probably be him. Um, nice. he's, he's killed a lot of a lot of big deer here in, here in PA. Um now that's not the short change like, you know, the in or Yeah. Uh, the, the John Aberharts or I'm just talking about guys in my immediately my immediate area that know the areas yep. that, you know, that are kind of locked into to these spots. You
1: know? Yeah, no. I I love it. I I I dig when 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 guys go with like the local like what I call like the local legends. Like I love that. Yeah, you know what I mean because so I've cool. always said in, and I'll say it to the cows come home it's the best deer hunters that that are out there, most people don't know about it, right. it, you know, and it's you know a perfect example is a guy that I had on Travis, you know, and it was a guy that Eddie Claypool introduced me to. I mean the guy just slays big deer, you know, and he's in he's in Oklahoma he hunts Oklahoma and Kansas, and he's the most he's one of the nicest guys you will ever meet or ever have a chance to talk to, and so unassuming and humble, you know that you would You'd never know the guy's a killer, you know what I mean? But He just gets it done with regularity and just knows how to get it done, you know? And, uh, and I love it whenever guy's, you know, kind of give some, uh, give some props to their, to their, to their hometown, hometown legend, so to speak. But, uh, well, cool, man, we've been going at it for like an hour now, dude. I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to the family and let you get a little bit of sleep so you can uh, get up tomorrow morning for a hunt. I'm going to do the same, but before I let you go. If you wouldn't mind, let people know where they can follow you, learn more about you, and kind of uh, follow along with your outdoor excursions this year and uh, in the years to come.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I've got a Facebook page, and, and, um, you know, so there, I do have an Instagram page that I was kind of, I'm kind of on a little bit more, um, I think it's a little bit more of a calm platform, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to to be on. So, I follow a lot of guys on that page, uh, you know, on that social media um, platform. So right. Basically, Facebook and Instagram. You know?
1: Yeah, nice. And um, then any uh, any links that we need to, to get to for any of the veteran stuff that the uh, folks can. Support? Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. And that and that's a big thing with um, these guys. These two um, organizations that I'm going to mention is Pennsylvania Outdoor Veterans, um, and they uh, they provide again hunts for disabled vets. Um, you know, free of charge for them. Uh, they have a website, uh, paoutdoorveterans.org. Um, so they rely on um, you know uh, donations, basically, right uh, to fund them and fuel them so uh, and the other one is Hunt for healing um and they have a an actual spot that's actually really close to me. Um, they have a an an awesome facility that's just set up for veterans um for for disabled veterans, so it's they have all the the, the things there that they need um and that's uh, hunts for dot org so you know, you can look up those two organizations, jump online, um, find their websites, and there's a donate tab on each one of those where, um, you know, they really do rely on on those funds coming from, uh, you know, coming from the community, you know, nice. to, to support the veterans. So,
1: Good deal, man. Well, folks out there listening, head over to those links, check those places out. If you can give a little, especially coming up on the giving season, um, be awesome if you'd be able to do that. Um, I'll hit that link and, and, uh, and make a, make a contribution on my end, brother. Appreciate all the, all the stuff you're doing for people that need it. Um, it's always good whenever folks are, you know, um, you know, doing good for, for other folks and then happy to finally get a chance to talk to you, man. I appreciate you coming on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Good talking to
1: you, Clint. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
0: and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. The From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinner's crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.